And the Bible says we are actually new creations, new creatures. The old is gone, the new has come. We are literally reborn. We are given new life. We were dead, now we are alive. We are blind, now we can see. We have died to sin. We are completely new. If you have died to sin, the question right here in the Bible is, then how can we who died to sin still live in it? Well, good day to you all and welcome to Live in the Light. My name is Craig and I get to be the host of this program and joining me in our studio is our teacher, Pastor Robbie Simons. And Robbie, you know, I I think sometimes we forget or we just kind of dial out the intro music, but that song, Live in the Light, is a significant song, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. I mean, sometimes we get some questions time to time. Hey, how come the theme song is in the light by DC Talk and all that stuff? And say, well, there's a really good reason for that because that was actually the song that God used to save my life from death. I was uh, 22 years old, and uh, it's a long story, but I was led to listen to that song. I literally hit random on the CD, opened up the CD jacket. Remember the CDs were? Anyways, opened up the CD jacket, read the words, and that was my gospel moment. I would never be the same again. I saw Jesus in truth and grace for the first time ever. It's just like skills were lifted, absolutely born again. Holy Spirit filled my life. And again, I've never been the same since. That was the day of my justification. And from that time on has been a path of sanctification. So that song's very dear to me and to our team here. And that's why we use it. And we hope that would encourage you as well and say, oh, that makes sense now. It sure does to me because again, that's how the Lord chose to save and change my life. We start a series today in Romans chapter six, seven, and eight. It is a very, very important one and such a good kind of tie into the story I just shared about the song. Here's the reality and here's what Paul's going to teach us by the Holy Spirit in Romans 6, 7, and 8. When someone is genuinely justified in Christ, justified by faith and grace in Jesus Christ, they have received again this sentence now of innocence and that legal courtroom turn. Here's what we have to know. If someone's genuinely justified, they must, it is theologically essential that they begin now to grow and change like Jesus Christ. There's going to be ups, there's going to be downs, but the trajectory is going to be upwards, being conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the essence of what Paul is teaching on sanctification, just a theological word to say growing more like the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what this series is all about. The conviction, the beauty though is, listen, if we are justified, we must start showing evidence of being sanctified then, again, in progress towards Jesus Christ and his image. So we're very, very excited. It's a deep theological series, but we're praying it's so applicable to where you are too. Craig, I think we're praying the people will be massively encouraged in the days to come. Yeah, absolutely. Again, the title of the series, the brand new one, Life's Too Short Not to Grow in Christ. We're diving into some amazing text in the days ahead. So loved ones, we pray you stay with us and you're as encouraged as we are also. Again, as Robbie said, we're in Romans chapter 6 today, and the title of today's message, We Are Called to Grow. Today we begin a new series 
going through the exposition of Romans chapters 6 to 8. We're going to have a bit of an extended introduction, which is very necessary and hope very understood. And I pray will also be very encouraging for each of you as well as we do so. And it will set us up for the weeks to come. I want to start with our series title, which is this. Life is too short not to grow in Christ. Life is too short not to grow in Christ. Now let's uh, ask the question to that statement, why? Why is this statement true? Well, because the theology of the Bible teaches us, listen carefully, this is a day that a lot's coming at you right now and a lot will be downloaded to you in the next several minutes. So I'm praying the Holy Spirit will give us alert minds and hungry hearts and sit up straight and ready to learn and take good notes, okay? So why is that statement true? Because the Bible teaches us that genuine salvation, listen, genuine salvation necessitates genuine transformation in Christ. You can't be truly saved and remain unchanged. The Bible teaches us if you're truly saved, you must change. The rate of that, you know, is different from each person, but you can't stay dormant. Salvation requires transformation in Christ. Okay, so um, a healthy apple tree will bear the fruit of apples. A healthy orange tree will bear the fruit of oranges. A justified, saved believer will, by necessity of the teachings and the Holy Spirit in us, will bear the fruit of sanctification which is a theological word describing becoming more like Jesus Christ. So growth in Christ, therefore, is the highest call of the believer. That we are called to grow in Christ is the supreme calling of our lives, which gives God the most glory. We have one life. We have one opportunity. This life is short. We must make it count. But how? See, the greatest way our lives count is being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Think of everything else flows from that reality. The impact of our lives, the way we live, the fruit we bear, the songs we sing, the direction of our lives. So therefore, the calling to grow more like Jesus Christ is way more important than academics, than our choice of career, than any success the world might define. It's way more important than our bank accounts, way more important than any fame or social status. It is way, way, way more important, the calling of life change in the Lord Jesus Christ. So therefore, life is too short not to grow in Christ. One life, one opportunity, one awesome calling. In fact, this calling is so significant for the genuine believer. If you're saved in Christ, you feel this. The Holy Spirit is constantly wooing you to life change in Jesus Christ. It will therefore heavily, heavily influence the career you choose. It will heavily influence the place you choose to live the church you choose to attend because life change in Christ is our highest calling. It will greatly influence the priorities of our family, the hobbies that we engage in. It will greatly, greatly influence the ambition of our lives, the way we treat finances, the retirement we might face. The call to grow in Jesus Christ will for sure influence our most significant relationships who we choose to give ourselves to, who we are vulnerable with, none the least, of course, which is marriage. 
The call to grow in Christ is the very purpose of our lives. So therefore it impacts everything else we do, or at least that's what's supposed to happen. We also know that one day we'll stand before Christ. The New Testament teaches us, 2 Corinthians 5 and elsewhere, as believers, there'll be a judgment. As believers, we'll stand before Christ and we'll have to give an account for what we've done with what's been entrusted to us. The parable of the minas, again, 2 Corinthians 5, it's gonna be again, wood, hay, or gold, or precious stones. We will have to give an account of what God has entrusted to us. This is a very, very serious calling. This is a very, very important series. Life is too short not to grow in Christ. And here's what we know. The greatest regret for many at the end will stand before Christ. He'll say, what have you done with what I've entrusted you with? And the greatest regret for many will be the fact that they wasted so much time and so much of what God had entrusted them with. That will not determine their salvation as a believer. It will determine rewards of some kind. But the great regret of many will be, I wasted so much of my life. But here we are right now, loved ones, there's still time. There's still time. You can change everything today. There's still time for you and there's still time for me that we can make our lives count for the glory of Jesus Christ to see sanctification increase in our lives. God help us. Now here's an important question as we begin today. We talk about change and life changing Christ. Why is it so difficult then? Why is it so frustrating, isn't it? I mean, if your life is like mine, man, it's frustrating. My sin frustrates me on a daily basis. Why is it so opposed? Why is life in Christ changing in him so hard? And why is it so opposed? I mean, think why already in the first few minutes at the introduction of this series and this message right now, already there are accusations flying all over the place by Satan trying to bring condemnation on the fact that you haven't changed enough in Jesus Christ. Remember, the Holy Spirit is not about condemnation. The Holy Spirit is about conviction. There's a massive difference. That's already happening already. This very notion, this series, already being opposed. Why is that the truth? Because growth in Christ is the highest calling of our lives. Growth in Christ is power. Growth in Christ is purity. Growth in Christ gives glory to Jesus Christ. So that's why few things are opposed more than what we're about to do right now. Our flesh hates life change in Christ and Satan is absolutely terrified of a church committed to growing more like Jesus Christ. That's why it is so difficult, opposed, and so hard. Now, I want to get this series in front of us right now. The next couple of months, we're going to be unleashing Romans chapter 6 to 8 again. And the purpose of Romans chapter 6 to 8 is a powerful call for sanctification for the believer in Jesus Christ. The essence of this call is life is too short not to grow in Christ. And our first passage today will be a beautiful introduction for all that is to follow. I want to say this to you right now, okay, this series that we start today. I personally am excited. I personally am expectant. And I want to say this to you. I personally need this. I need this series. I need to unpack again a robust theology of sanctification and all the promises of Christ in it and the power of the Holy Spirit that is found within it and the reality of life change and perspective and the time that we have while we still have it, one life, one opportunity, one main calling growth in the Lord Jesus Christ. I am excited. Listen, loved ones, I need it. I need it. 
I'm praying my own study in these passages will result in such life change, conviction, and expectation resulting in God's glory. Please, Lord, would you work and move? So if you haven't already, please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. And as you do that, if you have done that, I want to get some simple context. Obviously, if we're in Romans 6, the chapter before that is Romans 5. I want to have a very simplified context of Romans 5 on the screen for you. The context of Romans 5 is this, through the gospel. It's dealing with justification. More to come on that in a few seconds. Through the gospel, we have been justified by faith. Therefore, we have peace with God. And verse 9 of Romans 5 says, and we shall be saved from the wrath of God that is to come. Now stare at those for a second. Look at all those. What do all those truths have in common for those who are saved in Jesus Christ? This is dealing with our salvation in the past. Romans 5 is dealing with our justification. We have been saved. Romans 5 verse 1. Salvation in the past. When we have been justified, we are now not at enmity. We're not enemies of God. We're now friends of God. We have peace with God. We are reconciled to God. And because we are justified, we can even say that our future is guaranteed. We shall be spared the wrath of God when it comes. Because we have been saved, we have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ. So what Paul does in Romans 5, he's powerfully unpacking the gospel relating to our justification. Again, we have been saved. But here's the question, okay? So Romans 5, all about the reality of our salvation in the past. We've been justified by grace through faith. Here's the question. So we're justified. We're declared innocent of our sins in the past. But what do we do now then as believers? What do we do in the present? Do we just sit around now? Do we just twiddle our thumbs? Do we just entertain ourselves to death as we await for the return of Christ? Because after all, we're saved. So now we just kind of pass time and wait until the perfection of our salvation. Is that what we do? Well, the Bible tells today emphatically the answer to that question. You just sit around? No, absolutely not. The calling of our present and our present reality of our salvation in Christ, the calling of our present is that we must be transformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen carefully to this, okay? Justification theologically necessitates sanctification. Say it again. Justification theologically necessitates absolutely requires, biblically speaking, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, sanctification. Now, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you right now, you could teach this as well as I could, whatever, and justification, sanctification, you're all there. But some of you are like, just a what? And sanctify what? Like some of you have never heard these things. We're so glad you're every healthy church has people all over the spectrum. New babes in Christ and people who are mature in the Lord Jesus Christ. But just to get on the same page as we begin this series Never apologize for teaching this stuff again because every time I do it again, I just, and a hundred times I'm so excited. Here's the difference between justification and sanctification. If you don't know this, learn it now. Let it stay with you for the rest of your life. 
I mean, dig deep right now. Go over this. Review it this week. Teach it to others. This is so important in understanding the gospel of Christ and what the Bible so clearly teaches. It's not supposed to always be easy studying the Bible. It requires hard work, but it is clear, and the Holy Spirit reveals the truth that he desires us to know. So what is justification? Justification is our salvation in the past. I have been saved. Saved from what? This is so key. Saved from the penalty of sin. Justification is a courtroom legal term. It's the declaration of innocence. So you're standing before God in the courtroom before Christ and the gavel comes down guilty because of your sin. Not one sin gets into heaven. Rightly so. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God right? So, but when you're in Christ, his righteousness is imputed. It is assigned to you, not by your works, not by your merit, by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. It is assigned to you and the gavel comes down because Christ is in you and it's innocent. Justification is a one-time instantaneous declaration of innocent that the penalty of sin has been removed from your life. You are now granted, again, righteousness, which leads to salvation and eternal life in heaven. So justification deals with our position in Christ. Before we are justified, position is guilt, guilty, destined for death. After justification in Christ, our position is innocence. We are declared righteous because of what Christ has done for us. Let's now go to sanctification. Sanctification, right, necessitates or justification necessitates sanctification. Sanctification now is present salvation. I am currently being saved. I am changing. I am being saved what? Not from the penalty now, not from the declared statement. Now I'm being saved from the power of sin in my life. Sin now is starting to be diminished. I am looking more and more like Jesus Christ. Notice it's not a one-time event. Sanctification now is an ongoing lifelong pursuit of growth in the Lord Jesus Christ. If justification describes our position, sanctification describes our practice, the practical outworkings of us changing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, William McDonald says this so well, right? When you put these two together, our practice, sanctification, should increasingly correspond with our position, justification. Because right, you can't have this without this, and you'll never see this without this. Where there's true justification, there must be, 100% of the time, a beginning of the process of sanctification. But you will never have true sanctification without the reality of someone being justified, declared innocent in the sight of God, and having the righteousness of Christ fill their lives, causing them, again, to be righteous before the Lord and therefore not found guilty. That's a lot there, isn't it? But I'm telling you, like, you need to know this stuff. A lot of you do, some of you don't, man. It should be exciting. And light bulbs, hopefully, maybe are beginning to go off too. The larger Westminster Catechism asks this very question. What is the difference between justification and sanctification? This is wordy. You guys are smart. Let's read this together, and we'll go through it a little bit slow and see if we can get it, okay? What's the difference? Another way to say the same thing. Although sanctification be inseparably joined with justification, they, you can't separate these, justified, sanctified, sanctified, they have to go together. They do differ though. Here's how they differ. That God in justification imputes the righteousness of Christ, legal declaration. In sanctification, his spirit infuses grace, 
practically that we can be changed and become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. This last sentence is awesome. I love it, okay? In the former justification, sin is pardoned. In the former legal term, sin is pardoned. In the latter, in sanctification, sin is now subdued. Now think about that for a second and make sure you understand that. Justification pardons us from sin. Sanctification subdues sin, starts to see sin diminished. We begin to look more and more in our lives and bear the fruit of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is setting up everything we're about to do from Romans 5 as we enter into Romans 6. Justification leads to the massive call for sanctification, for transformation and change in Jesus Christ. So these chapters, what they're going to become, what these chapters are going to become is a wonderful call against apathy, a wonderful call against complacency, and a wonderful call against lethargy. Would any of those apply to you in the last several months or let's say two years? We are being set up right now by the Lord that he's going to call us to change and transformation in him. And I just want you to know too that one of the kind of vision statements and missions of our church is all the way along is we want to see people realize their full potential in Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to warn you, the Holy Spirit's going to come after you right now. He's going to come after you because he loves you. He's going to do it lovingly. He's going to do it with such grace. He's going to be gentle, but he's also, he's already just saying, he's going to be firm. He's going to be firm. He's come to convict. The Holy Spirit's going to come after me. He's going to come after you again because he loves us. It's all love. It's all love. But he's going to want to change us. He's going to want to change us. He says, I have more for you. I can do more in you. you. Do not settle. Mediocrity is not God's will. It is time that we grow like the Lord Jesus Christ. Hope Bible Church, get ready. The Holy Spirit is coming for us. And we, I pray, are excited about it. All right? Not going to be easy. You want to clap for that? Amen. That's awesome. Way to go, church. Okay, so Romans 6, 1 to 5, here we go. <clears throat> Let's read the verses together and we will begin again. Extra introduction, but I trust you understand why and you're encouraged by it. Romans 6, 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, exclamation mark. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with Christ by baptism into death in order that, notice the outworking of that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We're changed. We're new creations, man. We'll never be the same again. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Okay, so this is the powerful call to sanctification. Let's get to point one then. The call for sanctification understands this. I cannot, I can no longer continue in sin. I cannot continue in sin as a justified believer on the process of sanctification. Look at verse one again. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Let me be super clear here as we begin, okay? What Paul is not saying here, and we'll see this all throughout this series, what Paul is not saying is that Christians will not be tempted to sin. What Paul is not saying is that Christians will not sin. 
What Paul is not saying, that we as believers are incapable of sinning. He's not saying that, okay? It's a great time to turn to your neighbor and say, he's not saying that. Go ahead, go ahead, turn to your neighbor. He's not saying that, okay? He's not saying that. Some of you enjoy that more than others, right? He's not saying that, okay, because the remainder of these chapters will be detailing our very battle against sin, like the whole rest of this series is, is detailing and defining our battle against sin. So when he says here, what is he saying then? Well, in Romans chapter five, Paul clearly is teaching that the grace of Christ received by faith in Christ results in the righteousness of Christ, right? I receive again by faith and grace, the righteousness, his righteousness now is placed upon a sign to me, imputed to me. So what he does when that truth, because it is true, that is so true. So he anticipates his opponents and sincere questions of believers. He anticipates the questions of people saying, well, if grace covers all my sin, past, present, future, if I have the imputed righteousness of Christ upon my life, which I do as a genuine believer, then he anticipates the question, can I not then just sin my face off? Like, why does it matter? Can I just sin to my heart's content? Because it, you know, like if, if I'm forgiven and grace covers everything, then let's just have a sin party because wouldn't God be more glorified by more grace over my more sin? Well, notice Paul's answer here in verse two. His emphatic response is, and it's emphatic, it's indignant, by no means. Absolutely not. The Phillips translation has, what a ghastly thought that is. Other translations say, may it never be. Perish the thought. In fact, this phrase, by no means, it is the strongest idiom of repudiation in the New Testament Greek. Like, how's that for significance and meaning? By no means is the strongest idiom of repudiation in New Testament Greek. So you can tell how passionate Paul is in response to these questions or this idea, in some cases, this false teaching of that sinner faces off because grace covers everything. But now we ask, why is Paul so passionate about this point? He's so passionate or indignant because of the theological reality. See, Christ died to save us from sin but not so that we could live in sin. That's preposterous, if not blasphemous. Christ didn't die to sin or die to save us from sin that we can sin all the more. He died that we would die to sin, that we would be raised to newness of life and bear so much fruit. Here's a good quote on the screen for you. It says this, or another way to say this. Justification declared innocence by God in Christ was not intended as a license to sin. The whole point of justification is liberation from sin. We are justified to be set free from being enslaved to sin. That's all next week, by the way. Excited for that passage already. It's not about having a license to sin as false teachers could teach throughout the history or history. It's rather a reality of liberation from sin. So notice how Paul says in follow-up question in verse two, his follow-up question now is, look, he says, he says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Exactly. If we've died to sin, to the domination of sin, to the enslavement of sin, to the penalty of sin, if we've died to that, how can we possibly still live in it? When someone is saved in Christ, they have died with Christ, okay? 
if you have died with Christ, then you have died to sin with Christ. If you have died to sin, the penalty of sin has been removed, justification, and the power of sin is now being diminished, sanctification. Salvation then brings a total change of relationship. And the Bible says we are actually new creations, new creatures. The old is gone, the new has come. We are literally reborn. We are given new life. We were dead, now we are alive. We could blind, we are blind, now we can see. We have died to sin. We are completely new. If you have died to sin, the question right here in the Bible is, then how can we who died to sin still live in it? What's really important here, the key phrase in verse one, notice the phrase says, continue in sin. Are we to continue in sin? This is referring to habitual sin. That's a very important distinction and explanation. So a gen, listen carefully, I'm going to important. Who's this for right now, okay? A genuine believer cannot continue in habitual sin. It's theologically impossible in the long run for a believer to continually be engrossed and enslaved to continual sin. Well, amen. Thankful for Pastor Robbie's message today. God is good, isn't he, listeners? Uh, We hope that this series and this message in particular is encouraging you as you continue on in your life following Jesus Christ. But we want you to be aware that there are other messages and other series that we pray would be an encouragement to you as well. And if you'd love to check those out, please make sure you visit us online at liveinthelight.ca. That's all for today, listeners. Join us again next time here on Live in the Light. Oh,